Chris Mannix. It's not an issue of getting the test. The NBA can buy whatever they want. They can find a private outfit to sell them the 20,000 tests, whatever it is they need. They have the resource to go out there and do it. But if the optics are bad, they're not going to come back. They're not going to buy 15,000 tests to play a postseason in Vegas while New York and Michigan and California are struggling to get tests. The testing has certainly improved. It's not where it needs to be, but it's trending at least in the right direction. If testing just improves to a certain level, the NBA is going to be willing to open up its checkbook, buy the tests it needs, and get it done a lot of the same ways that the UFC got it done this past weekend. It really makes me wonder how the Jazz will be able to reform and come back together. How will they play and what shape will they be in? I think the Jazz have some things working for them. Quinn Snyder is a great coach and a good coach I think is going to matter a lot to how teams come back, how they prepare for whatever we're in store for. There are a few coaches in the league you'd rather have than Quinn Snyder in that circumstance, but also some things working against them. Traditionally, with Jazz teams, they're slow starters and good finishers. So with this interruption, I wonder what team comes back. Is it the team that still needs to work a little bit to click, or do they come back and pick up where they left off? Keith Smith, Yahoo Real GM and Pro Basketball Talk. What's your best guess about what form it will take? For a long time, I believed we were going to see all 30 teams in some semblance of finishing out the regular season. I'm starting to think that that just seems less and less likely. Adam Silver seemed to be pretty consistent in that he wants to have as close to a real playoff as he can with seven-game series and those types of things. If you're going to do that, I think you're probably going to have to let go of the idea of finishing out some semblance of a real regular season with all 30 teams. Maybe a shortened regular season featuring maybe just playoff contending teams and then right into the playoffs after that. Jonathan Tavernari, former Cougar with us. Mark Pope seems to be able to challenge his players and yet instill confidence in them simultaneously. So I was able to meet him quite a bit um, when he first came in as an assistant coach, as a guy that played professionally for about a decade. The best compliment I can give a coach is, I would love to play for you. That's the case with Mark. He is a player's coach in every way, shape, or form, which 100%, in my opinion, is the reason why Matt Harms chose BYU. Because the way that Mark Pope develops players is something to be seen. Sam Amick of The Athletic with us on your NBA Daily Assist. We're now starting to see some momentum, or at least it feels like it, Sam. The optimism's got to be at an all-time high, right? I think for sure. The optimism was always there. I think Adam Silver and his group went out of their way to play it down, even within private conference calls with owners and GMs out of sensitivity for the situation. But behind the scenes, they were always pushing pretty hard to make this happen. But the one thing that has not changed at all is that they're holding their breath that there's not another major uptick when it comes to cases. I mean, at this point, I'm certainly handicapping that some version of the season will happen. Best Sports Radio is on the Zone Sports Network. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is... And it's time to kick off Utah's most listened to sports radio afternoon show. This is The Big Show with Gordon Monson and Jake Scott. Sponsored by Mountain America Credit Union. Guiding members forward for over 80 years. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Is everybody ready? Everybody's working for the Let's get rolling. This 
is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. That's right. It is The Big Show. Happy Friday, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Jake Scott with you from our Vivint Smart Home Arena Studios. Austin Horton across the glass from me. Safely social distancing from Casa de Monson. He is the one, the only Gordon Monson. Gordon, hello. Hello, Jake. How are you today? I'm hanging in there, buddy. Uh, just trying to, uh, you know, uh, make the most of a Friday. Got a little Korean baseball going in the studio right now. Uh, good news. Uh, Dusan is up on Kia 7-2. to two. Let's oh, see good. what uh, we're in the bottom of the sixth inning. And I'm sure this is tape delayed, but nonetheless, uh, there you go, Gordon. You should be feeling good about that. I feel very good about my pick. I know they got off to a little bit of a rough start, but it sounds to me like they are riding that ship and moving forward. And uh, and I like the way it looks, both from the pitching standpoint and the hitting standpoint right now. It's looking very good. Well, I'm hopefully... Down Korean League Baseball. Hopefully, Kia makes a monster comeback here and your guys lose, but it's not looking good at the moment. No, it's not. And I'll take it. Uh, very... Uh, action-packed show today. We've got a lot to do. Coming up at 2.30, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated uh, will be on with us. We talked about his work yesterday. It's up online at SI.com, but uh, talking to all the different conference commissioners about what a possible return to college football would look like. Uh, Very, very uh, informative read, and we're going to talk to him about that coming up at 2.30, so toward the the beginning of the show. Uh, At 3 o'clock, George Niang is having a media availability. Gordon will carry that live, so you'll be able to hear from the Jazz Forward. Howard Beck will be with us at the top of the 4 o'clock hour as well, not to mention Gordon's list, which I'm told is particularly good this week. Who told you that? Uh, You did? (laughs) <laughs> I did. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, we're, I mean, we're I, here to inform and entertain. I don't know who else would have told me that outside <laughs> of, of you. You are the well, author and creator of Gordon's List, after all. Uh, I know, but you made it sound as though I was I was boasting. Well, never. You, 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 never. You boast? Yes, that's against my nature. Preposterous. Preposterous. I'm Gordon Monsey. <laughs> Uh, well, maybe you implied... That was said in jest, I want you to know. Maybe you implied that the list is always good. Uh, I have a nice car. Ooh, you <laughs> boasted about that. I told you that that was the one, that was the one thing that I, I bought that was, uh, might be seen by some as being a little extravagant, but the only thing. That's it. That is it. What about the Rolex? I don't have a Rolex. Hmm. Nope. I don't know if I believe that. Do not. Not a watch guy? I got, I've got two watches, uh, and I don't even know the brands. You know? I got one on a cruise uh, at some stop along the way that was probably ripping people off by selling stuff as legitimate that wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that much. Uh, and I have another one I got uh, somewhere along the line, but it's nothing. It's nothing like that. What about that? Is uh, do guys still are guys still buying like really fancy watches as some sort of statement? Do people notice the kind of watch folks wear? Is that is that still true, or is that sort of have gone the way of the dinosaur? I have some friends who are still uh, into fashionable watches. 
I think it's, that, it's still a thing with with some. Does it make I'm not, a statement? What does it do? Why do why do people do that? Are they doing it to impress others? Are they doing it as an investment? What I mean, what's the deal? I mean, why do you have uh, you know why do you drive multiple Porsches? I mean, it's I don't drive. Well, I guess. I do. But here here's the main thing about that is it's the driving pleasure. What pleasure do you get out of wearing a watch? The pleasure of telling time. I know, but. Okay, I, I just don't. I, I've Are never you really wearing got... a, wearing a watch is pretentious. I mean, isn't all fashion pretentious, Gordon? I I don't know. I don't know. Is it? I mean, why why do you wear all your wonderful hats? Oh, yeah, but they're not fancy. Yeah, but you're sending a message. I'm not. I'm not buying a, a you know a fifty sixty seventy thousand dollar hat. It's a way to express yourself. Oh, the okay. the way you dress or what you wear, or if you like a, a certain watch or a look of a watch or sunglasses or whatever, it's how you express yourself. All right. Well, let me uh, let me demonstrate my ignorance here on this particular topic because I don't know what makes one watch worth two hundred grand and another watch worth twenty dollars. Um, I'm going to go with. Is it the pre- precision? And if it's the precision, that's expensive precision. Probably the material, I would guess, has a lot to do with that. What that watch is made of. But two hundred grand in a watch? Yeah. I mean, I I I, you I have suppose one, right? I I don't. I suppose there's a reason, but I don't. I don't know what it is. I, I, does one watch keep the time that much better than another? I, I I don't think it does. So what is in that freaking thing that makes it so valuable? Uh, I, I tried to figure that out because you know I, a couple of watch ads popped up on my uh, you know when you when you you know because they 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 know every intimate secret of your life online and it, a watch ad came up so I clicked on it just to see what it was and now I get a thousand watch ads popping up but I, I I'm not a really a watch guy I have a friend who's a watch guy but uh, I don't. Uh, but his is probably more for an investment than it is to show off or anything. I, 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 I truly, I truly don't know what makes a a a ten, fifteen, twenty, twenty five thousand dollar watch worth that money. Well, Gordon, I, I you know I'm not an expert in the field. I I would guess what the watch is made out of. You mentioned the precision, but probably the biggest jump in price is is the same reason you drive a Porsche is because you want everybody else to know that you have the means to drive a Porsche. That, that's got nothing to do it's, with it. it, it, it that's a byproduct of something that's about uh, a thousand points down the down the list. Number one is the driving experience. What uh, again? You get you get a visceral feel behind the wheel of a car that drives beautifully. What do you get out of a watch? I, it, what do you get out of it? Other than an investment, I get that if you're going to do that. But if it's an investment, you're probably not going to wear it. Um, well, we can look at this a, a variety of different ways, Gordon. Let, let's let's take uh, your your Porsche and and shout out to Hans uh, for helping me with this. He just uh, sent me a little bit of a text, but uh, your Porsche, you, you know, you take that thing to the store, and you take a say basic uh, economy class car to the store. You're still getting to the store. You're getting to the store, but you're not enjoying it nearly as much. 
maybe maybe you are Gordon. Maybe you like looking at that Rolex when you stare at it. Maybe that gives you enjoyment. Okay. Well, okay, because that Austin answers and, the question. Because I, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I haven't had that same experience. Well, there you go. See, you you like to you like to say that kind of stuff that it's a showpiece and all this stuff, and that's BS. I don't care what anybody thinks about what car I drive. I love the feel of driving that car. It's a machine. It's a machine that I can feel by the seat of my pants as I'm driving down the road, most responsibly, by the way, uh, and safely. But uh, it's it's I love that feel of the car and and I like the look of it too. But it's for me. It's not for anybody else. What a watch! I guess I guess you can get that same feeling out of having a watch. I I, I just haven't ever had that. Well, we. It told- sounds like you've never had it driving a car because you always ridicule me and, and, and say I'm doing it to show off, which I'm really not. Well, you we told you how you could prove to us. That, that you don't drive that because you're pretentious. We told you. It doesn't matter if you change the badge out or not. People know what it is by looking at it. You know, the badge? So it's not, you're not going to hide anything. The badge? What? Yeah, that's what you call it. I thought it was called like a like a hood ornament. An emblem. No, no, the, the badge? Called ba- it's called a badge. Even yeah. that's pretentious. I thought it was called a look at me and what I drive Yeah, that's signal. exactly what it is. You, you pry off, you know, the logo and... Uh, and that will prove to Austin and myself uh, what you're talking about. Or, or let but me key it, it a few times. But yeah. people know. Why, why would you want to damage something that uh, is it, perfect? To help you prove your point. Right. Uh, that does, that's, no, that stuff matters. And people know if you're going to buy a, 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 a car that drives well, people are going to know what it is regardless of what the badge says. That's, prove it. But, but it'll, I, I just don't understand the watch. I don't know why you want me to do it's, that. It's because the same. If I, if I pry off the badge, then I'm going to damage the paint, and why would I want to do that? I, I don't want you to do it because that proves our point. Because if you did it, it would prove your yeah, point. Yeah, right, that you don't care See, what this, people think, that you're doing it because you enjoy driving it. Yeah, I mean, scrape all, that all sucker does, right up. I mean, all, all this does is prove to me that you guys have never driven a car that is really, really fun to drive. Fine. Point being, what I mean, okay. Because you can't relate to what I'm saying at all, and maybe someone could educate me about the watch thing. But see, but, I, but I don't know. I don't. I don't get it. I don't uh, understand uh, what what that attraction is. Now, obviously, for some people, it must exist, and I don't think that just because somebody has a Rolex or some other high quality watch or, or timepiece whatever you call it, it it's it i don't automatically assume uh he's a pretentious blankety blank i think there must be something deeper than that but i don't know what it is hmm. okay well let's get to gordon. if somebody if somebody could explain that I, I would really be curious to know at gordon monson at jake scott zone at austin horton if you own a watch that's over five thousand dollars and I know it can go way higher than that. But if you have a watch that's worth over five grand, tell me why. Gordon, you, you know why. You just won't admit to yourself. No, I don't that, know. Uh, and I don't that, think you know. I don't assign some sort of label to somebody just because they have something that is valuable. It sounds like you're being super judgy about people's watches. I'm not being judgy. You're being judgy. I'm saying I don't understand it, but I would like to understand it if someone could explain it to me. Ah, see, I I am not being judgy. Uh, I'm being judgy over uh, somebody's pretentious automobile habits, not their watches. 
why would you be judgy over someone's pretentious audio, uh, automobile and not be judgy over a nice watch? Because I don't know. That's I just don't where own one. That's just where I've drawn the line. <laughs> okay, that's, all right. That's the line for me right there. That's an honest question. That's not. I'm not trying to be funny or anything. I I just I don't I don't get it. And maybe it's ignorance on my part because I've never owned one. But I have a very good friend who owns uh, owns a, uh, a a Paul Newman Rolex that's probably worth over a hundred grand. Yeah. And he he's not the kind of guy who cares much about what anybody thinks either. It doesn't sound like it. Somebody <laughs> with a hundred thousand dollar watch. Uh, anyway, by the way, you, Cassio will tell you what you, time it is. You can, know. you know, if you tell us you have very important friends, that I believe. I, I, I believe that. Austin, I don't have a friend with a hundred thousand dollar watch. Do you? <laughs> no, I don't have a friend with a watch. Yeah, period. <laughs> uh, we on, we guys. know you associate with the rich. No, that we do, so, you that's know. not my point at all. It's not. But I would like to understand if I could. I I know. Uh, guy well we'll get uh get uh that uh, rich and famous person on the horn during the break <laughs> uh, i don't know if i want to embarrass uh my friend pk's available i said during the break you i didn't say do it on air well all right well i was trying to make it part of the show jake oh hey there we it off the air then obviously it wouldn't be part of the show well i didn't think you'd actually do it on the air is that an option well, if somebody if somebody uh, uh, tweeted at us, we might be able to read what. No, no, no! Is. You're calling your friend with a with a hundred thousand dollar watch. What about it? Is that would you do that on the air? Uh, no, I don't want to embarrass him. Well, that's why I said do it during the break. Well, yeah, but that doesn't have the same impact. Well, if then somebody... do it on the air. I didn't. That's what I'm saying. I didn't know that was an option. <laughs> I don't want to embarrass him. But if somebody can t- can uh, tweet into us, then we can read it and understand it. We don't have to necessarily identify them mm-hmm. unless they want to be identified. All right. Well, we're not going to hold our breath to get to that or that uh, that tweet coming in. I don't think you're going to get many takers here, Gordon. I, I, I come on. Our our listeners are very uh, successful, and they have means. And uh, I'm sure that many of them have nice, uh, nice watches. I know. And I, you I, just called them all out. I, I did not call them out. You I said I didn't. Un- you said, I said it was I okay un- to be pretentious about your car because somehow that's associated with how uh, much you enjoy driving it. But you don't understand about being pretentious when it comes to watches. But I'm not. My aim is not to name call. It is to find out what what the value is in it. Why why you do that? There must be an explanation. And, I, and I'm assuming there's an explanation beyond what you guys are assuming mm-hmm. that someone's just trying to show off. We all get the difference. Yeah. Okay. Hmm. What do you mean? Hmm. You know, I'm trying to. This is Discovery Radio. If you, I'm trying to find out. I want to be informed, and you guys just sit there and make fun of it. No, we say you know the answer. I don't know the answer. That look you get when you pull uh, into the church parking lot on Sundays from nobody all the, gives all you mean when you, you know what when you Tokyo uh, drift into the yeah, church uh, and everybody <laughs> looks at uh, that automobile people, and people. go, wow. That's people, that's what they're aiming no, for. People don't. President care. Monson. People don't care about that.
No, you fact, care about that. One, one of the wealthiest guys I know drives a, drives a pickup truck. You, you would never know uh, anything about his background if you just looked at what he was driving. Are you talking about you again? No. Because <laughs> you also have one of those. Nah, it's not a pickup. And it's not a humble pickup truck either. It's a look oh, at me on. truck. It definitely it is. is. Uh, just it's pulls up the church. Hello, everyone. That's an, that is an interesting bit of information because why? whoever thought that you were going to impress somebody, and why would you want to impress somebody by driving up and parking in front of people? It, it, it just... I, I that doesn't make sense to me either. Who cares? Nobody cares, really, do they? But if you enjoy the experience, then that's that. Now that's that's got some meaning to me. Maybe I'd uh, enjoy the experience of bathing in Dom Perignon, but I'm never going to be able to find out, am I? <laughs> oh boy. All right, coming up next, we will get to Gordon's List coming up later on in the show. Coming up next, Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated with a great write-up on college football, what would have to happen to return. Uh, We will get to him coming up right around the corner. It is the big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. I just can't sit there and listen to an insecure person brag about how great everything is. My life's a lot better than yours. My kids are a lot better than yours. I have a nice car. Mine's better than yours. I'm better than you at what you do for a living, and I've never done it before. After the recession, I dropped 90 mil. Well, I've recouped that and doubled it. So I'm up to half a billion now. And so I got less time than I got money. I got to burn through this, man. Come on, let's do it. That sounds like bragging. I didn't mean it to be. It was. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Band of the Day today and Berlin. Brought to you by Live Nation Concerts. Buy concert tickets and get the latest tour news and artist insight at LiveNation.com. Coming up here momentarily, Gordon, we're going to have a chance to talk to Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated. He and Pat Forty teamed up for a really excellent piece. We talked a lot about it uh, yesterday. In fact, uh, Let's waste uh, no time. Let's get uh, ourselves out to the Sprint special guest line. Sprint, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Uh, He makes the magic happen for Sports Illustrated. He is Ross Dellinger with us here on The Big Show. Hi, Ross. How are you doing? Good, good, guys. How are y'all? Hey, we are doing great. Really enjoyed uh, your piece uh, there where really you you talked to all the major players, the conference commissioners, about what a return to college football would look like, and I, I thought it was really, really great. Uh, given what you learned talking to those folks, uh, how hard is it going to be? Uh, well, it's getting easier, or at least it, it looks like it's getting easier, in part because these states across the nation are, are reopening, you know, uh, they the state governors are uh, laxing some of the shelter at home things. I mean, there are um, gyms open and in a lot of states actually, specifically in the SEC, there are uh, recreational facilities and such. So we're going to see pretty quickly, quickly here in June, kids, you know, um, coming back on campus to do some volunteer workouts probably. And you'll see a a training camp hopefully will start by mid-July of some kind of six-week training camp they've settled on and 
And I think, you know, you talk to commissioners, they expect it express in, in optimism and kick off the season on time. Um, you know, however, um, I, I think the fans, uh, there will not be full stadiums. You know, there will be a limited amount of fans and maybe in some places no fans at all. I really like the way I really like the way you guys set this thing up with asking the questions the way you did and getting so many different responses. I'm struck as you were talking about the certainty in certain corners that this is going to happen, and then in others it's kind of well we really want it to happen, we need it to happen, but not sure if it will. Uh, to what do you attribute that? Yeah, it's uh, you know it, it's funny you, you get. Uh, you know, these these ten people, they just they don't agree on everything. And uh, really, it's eleven. They added the Notre Dame athletic director. And there are some, as you mentioned, that there are some issues uh, that they just don't agree on. They contradict, you know, one another on. And um, uh, a, a lot of them have to do with um, the inequality, you know, in in some schools coming back when others aren't. And uh, I think they, in a way, a lot a lot of the commissioners have. Uh, prepared for there to be inequality, um, but they're they're trying their best to get more of a central date in a universal date to start maybe voluntary workouts and start some kind of camp. Uh, it's just going to be hard, you know. College football is not set up like the NFL. They don't have a one commissioner, all powerful commissioner that uh, can make um, kind of you know dictator uh, type. Uh, uh, authoritative um, roles. You have these conference commissioners, uh, one of them plus another name athletic director usually in the mix there making making rules and a lot of times not together doing it on their own for their own conference's um, benefit, you know, and that's what we have here, I think. One thing that stood out to us uh, when we were talking about this yesterday when asked about if all schools would have to be on board for a, a conference to um, continue. Uh, Larry Scott's answer was, well, we hope that's the case, whereas Craig Thompson's answer was much more, man, we'll, we'll proceed and take what we can get. Did that, did that jump out to you, even though they're both kind of in a similar geographic footprint? They both had very different ways they addressed that question. Yeah, it's a great point. Um, you know, a lot of the Western states are certainly approaching reopening. Their, their state governments are approaching it uh, a little more cautiously. They might be a little behind, especially compared to uh, states in, for instance, the SEC footprint. So um, I, I think uh, it was interesting to, to hear both of those guys because I think Craig has, has obviously resigned himself to the fact that, it, you know, even within his conference, they're not going to start at the same time, you know, or, or similar times. But Larry Scott certainly, you know, his conference, a lot, a big part of his conference plays out of California. And California is is really the one state, it seems, when, when you talk to people in college athletics, that are concerned about, about not starting football on time. Forget about the training and practice, about not starting the season on time. If all others are are uh, planned to start. California seems to be behind everybody. That's a change, of course, but I think Larry Scott's answer um, probably has to do with that fact that that uh, so many of his schools lock in California. You know, I love the quote uh, that you had from Craig Thompson uh, where he said, uh, when he was addressing the idea of 
everything being on a level field and everyone being equal. He said there are no equal solutions. I still laugh. There are pockets of coaches saying, wait a minute, I didn't get 12 spring football practices. And then he says, give me a break. (laughs) It's refreshing to hear someone talk straightforward like that. It really is, and a lot of times you don't get that from the high-level officials. So uh, Pat Forty did that interview with Craig, and, and uh, it, yeah, it, it was nice when I got his quotes to put in the story. It was good to see a lot of them that uh, weren't just the boilerplate and cliches and things like that. He he uh, he kind of really let it fly, and it, it's nice to, to hear somebody kind of level with you there. And I think, uh, yeah, a, a lot of the coaches uh, – you know, the thing, Herm Edwards was, was telling me this in an interview a couple of weeks ago, but, you know, coaches, um, uh, they, they care really about one thing in a, in a lot of ways, in the grand scheme of things, and that is for everything to be balanced and fair for all of them. And that's just not going to happen this year. You know, I, we did a story on SBI last week about um, – about spring practice, we crunched the numbers on every every uh, every FBS team and how many spring practices each one got. You know, 52 of the 130 teams never started spring practice. Two of them finished spring practice, and in between, you had around 70 teams that that practiced average of about three times, three or four times. So. You're already going to have some inequality, and certainly uh, there are going to be schools uh, staggered this summer when it comes to uh, schools beginning to work out, you know, when they begin to work out, when they begin to full camp practice, and even maybe when they begin to start the season. You know, right off the bat in the piece, um, in the first section, who's going to make the decision to restart on-campus training? You mentioned, of course, the commissioners agree about, you know, governors controlling that decision. Uh, But also mentioned from there, the NCAA, and I'll read right from it, from there, the NCAA Board of Governors, um, a 25-person all-powerful governing body made up of primarily of school presidents and chancellors, uh, basically that they will set a date to return. Do we know how on the same page they are for that, and when can we expect that type of news? Well, yeah, I, you know, in, in their their ruling, the NCAA Board of Governors uh, will probably come from really a, a ruling from the, the committee below them, the NCAA Football Oversight Committee. They'll make recommendations. And they're in talks to the Football Oversight Committee, and they'll be in talks for the next few weeks. You know, but a lot of that is going to be coming from the commissioners. You know, uh, they, uh, you know, what it boils down to is, as you mentioned, the state governments and their regulations. Uh, and that will filter down to presidents. That will determine what presidents can do as far as opening campus and things like that. And presidents report to each commissioner. So the commissioners have a good idea of, of how things are and how the nation, the landscape is. Uh, so they'll be doing a lot of conversations with the Board of Governors and the Football Oversight Committee over the next few weeks. And as far as the timeline, I mean, you know, they need, you need, in order to have football, you got to start practice around July 15th. That's what commissioners told us in our, in our story yesterday. So that means making the decision over the, probably in, by the end of June or maybe early July, you could push it. That means making that decision. So I'd, I'd expect uh, a decision from the boards anywhere, you know, between, say, June 20th and July 4th. 
You asked uh, Notre Dame AD Jack Swarbrick about the idea, if the season is shortened or compacted somehow, of a conference-only type uh, schedule. And uh, he said uh, that it's a real possibility, uh, although he thought that Notre Dame would be okay because uh, everybody wants to play Notre Dame. But what happens to a school like in our listenership here, BYU, no conference. They would be in a, in a world of hurt, wouldn't they, if uh, if it goes to conference only? Yeah, and that's why, you know, I think you you got to have something in there like Jack Swarbrook mentioned about uh, playing, uh, you know, one non-conference game. And, and that would give the ability for the independents. And, of course, the independents could play one another. There's six of them, so that's five games each. But they need to pick up, you know, five or seven more games. Um, and in order to do that, you, you gotta have you gotta have a, all these other teams be able to play one, maybe one non-conference game, uh, you know. And that's that's the easy solution for it. Of course, you know what, what everybody wants is to play a full season, um, and, and I think that's possible. I just, uh, you know, I, I think you're going to get in the issues which uh, you know we we'll get into there in that uh, that story. But when you have a mid-season positive test and you have to cancel a game or or, or something like that, that's going to be the tricky part because at the end of the year, you know, one team might be finished in a conference, might not have had to cancel two games or, or miss two games. They have, you know, they have had played 10 conference or 10 games, maybe eight conference games while uh, another team played non-conference games. And, you know, how do you determine champions and things? And that's, we into that a little bit in that story, but that's a big concern too. You know, there, 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 there are a lot of issues here and uh, it's really, it's really quite a mess. I think Craig Thompson uh, said it best. Or he said it, it's like at Grand Central Station and you've got 10 trains uh, about the league heading in different directions. You don't know which one to get on. There's a lot of paths here that could go. You know, you certainly get the impression that uh, that these commissioners are optimistic and, and partially you got to think because they have to be because the downside is so catastrophic. Just how catastrophic would it be if there were no football season and who would be impacted the most? Well, uh, you know, no football season um, would be, I mean, it, it would be to the extent of uh, potential shutdowns of of uh, athletic departments, so for at least you know, for at least the time period, a certain time period, you would you would have mass layoffs, um, you'd have just mass furloughs. Uh, it, it would. Um, I mean, I was talking to an economist about six weeks ago or so about this, and he said that uh, he would expect some Power Five athletic departments to shut down, to have to shut down at least temporarily. So it, it, it's a significant thing, um, and uh, they're going to do whatever they can to, to prevent something like that. So, Ross, now that you've done all this research, uh, formulate in your mind, if you would, what you what you believe this season is going to end up looking like. What, what, what's your best guess? Yeah, it's it's obviously uh, so much unanswered, and you never know. The virus, we could have some kind of peak in the virus, you know, over the summer or something, and it would throw everything into a tizzy, but uh, as far as how it's going right now, um, I, you know, I'd, I'd probably say we, we start the season on time. Maybe not every single team starts the season on time, but for the most part, uh, teams do, and there are probably a limited amount of fans in the stands. 
Well, Ross, we certainly uh, enjoyed the piece. It was very helpful as we, you know, all as sports fans and college football fans process this entire situation and uh, wanted to, to thank you for coming on the show and helping us further digest it. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ross. Ross Dellinger of Sports Illustrated uh, jumping on with us, Gordon, and and laying it out. Again, very, very thorough and informative research and, and piece up at SI.com. Well, they, they quote uh, all these different people asking them the significant questions. And, yes, there is contradiction uh, within each answer. But you get a general feel of uh, the urgency that uh, the people in positions of power are feeling about getting this season in one way or another. And that, that comes across real that comes across real strong, don't you think? Yes, very much. And, yeah. and so we don't know the details and we don't know all the challenges because like he talked about, if there's a second wave, then how is that going to be handled? And what's the contingency plan from there? Uh, there there's still a lot of mystery here, but there, there certainly is a determination uh, probably – well, there's no probably about it. That comes from the uh, the money situation right. with it. They are motivated to get it in because they need to in order to provide the grease necessary for their athletic departments. And so uh, we don't know how, but we just sort of know, well, it, it, uh, it, there's kind of a come hell or high water. They want to force this in somehow. All right, let's get out of the zone phone. Joining us now, our good friend Tom from the warehouse. And it's Friday, and I love talking to Tom on Fridays. What's happening, my friend? Jake, Gordon, we're doing a boom, boom, a double boom. That means the the blow your mind is double exciting. We have a nice, big fabric sec- section. I'd call it oatmeal or sand color, regular 2200 bucks. How about thirteen ninety nine? And then the deal that we've been talking about for a week is this beautiful, and I, I can't say the brand, but it's one of the S brands. Hans got me in trouble yesterday, Jake, and he said that name, so okay. I got to be really careful. We'll I can't careful. say it. All right, California King Premium Mattress with the box spring the mattress and box spring sets normally 14.99 and then we've got a bed made by Liggett and Platt these are Gordon's favorites California King the entire package not 2100 bucks how about 499 dollars which is boom boom blow your mind twice we also have some other uh, adjustable bed deals. We get a lot of people who are now calling us because they've heard us talk about adjustable beds. And uh, I've got the queen adjustable bed with a mattress. The entire package is only $499. But not to be outdone, we're doing a king adjustable bed. This is a gel-infused mattress with a big name brand when you come in you can look it up on the internet we're selling the whole package for 9.99 the cheapest i could find the base was $1299 yesterday add a $1400 mattress to it $2700 package how about $999 we're going to be here all weekend um well, that's not true. We're closed Sundays to give our uh, employees a day to be with their families. But we'll be here today till 7 and tomorrow 10 to 7. We are the warehouse, two convenient locations, 
in Orem, 86 East University Parkway in Salt Lake, 1967 South, 300 West, right across the street from Home Depot. Come and see us, and it's boom, boom. I like it. Thank you, Tom. Boom. Thanks. Boom. On a Friday, 1967 South, 300 West in Salt Lake, 86 East University Parkway there in Orem. We'll have more Big Show coming up straight ahead. Don't forget, we'll have a George Niang press availability. We'll air that live at the top of the 3 o'clock hour. It's the Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 of The Zone. Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Big thanks to Ross Dellinger for jumping on with us from Sports Illustrated as we're all looking forward to hopefully what will be a college football season. What do you think about his confidence level in that, Gordon? It seems like he's right along with everybody that uh, optimistic that we're going to see something. Yeah, because uh, and this was very evident in the uh, in the article that we were talking about uh, the the voices within that article, while they varied as far as uh, you know uh, certain specifics of it, it was pretty clear that the uh, the group of them are absolutely determined to get it in. Yeah, it would it would appear that way. And Larry Scott is hopeful. That the impossible will happen and that everybody will be on the same page, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. And he's going to I'm be just faced not, with some not, difficult decisions. I'm just not impressed with his responses much of the time. Not all the time. I've heard him say some things that I thought that was really right on, but compared to some of the other voices in this, he just seemed. It seemed. Uh, I don't know. Somehow, I don't want to say delusional. That's too strong, but it seemed uh, pie in the sky. Okay, I, I can I can see that. I think he also may know, Gordon, that he is not going to be the Pac-12 is not going to lead out on this thing, and that's that's not. I mean, that's beyond his control, right? I mean, his right. footprint includes some parts of the country that are managing this uh, this situation a certain way. And uh, certainly, right, they're, they're making the best decisions for their community, and college football is going to have to fit within that. And unfortunately uh, for Larry Scott, and I say not unfortunately in that he's dealing with it, but unfortunately it's going to be really difficult decisions that are going to have to be made because I don't think everybody's going to be on the same page like he is hoping for. Yes. And he can be optimistic about it, but I don't think it's going to happen. Yes, I, I would agree with that. <laughs> Well, and and we'll see. And I hope, you know, I would love nothing more for a normal college football season with fans in the stands. And, it, you know, it's just all about what's realistic. And it's going to break down regionally. And it's going to break down politically, which will be weird. But it, uh, it's just inevitable at this point. I wonder about the NCAA, though, and when they will, like, will they take an approach? And I asked him about the, the Board of Governors, because will they take an approach where, they listen to the southeast and all that pressure down there, and they just say, oh, "Okay, go ahead and open up with you uh, when you can." Or do they take an approach where it's much more uniform on everybody has to be ready to go? Yeah, I just agree with uh, with what Ross was saying that that seems like it's almost impossible to count on or to even figure for. Right, right. So that, that, that's where I'm coming from on this. I think there's going to have to be adaptability. And some some allowance for variability because uh, 
or, or I guess variability. It's variance, wouldn't it? Anyway, uh, uh, things are going to be different in different places. I, I mean, that's just the way it is. And some of these conferences have footprints that you were talking about that, that do uh, cover a lot of ground and uh, where where certain things will be more available at certain spots than others. So folks are going to have to be adaptable in that regard because if you're not adaptable and if you're too worried about everything being fair, then it's it's then you're, you're the whole sink, the whole ship might sink. All right, coming up next, George Niang has a press availability scheduled for today. We're going to let you listen to that live. It is the big show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 975 and 1280 of the zone.